The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Scott Lee. Uh, It's funny. To me, I don't feel like Scott Lee needs any introduction, uh, especially if you are a fan of, well, honestly, most of the bands that are on this podcast and the era of music as a whole that most people probably know from this show. Uh, but if you don't know, Scott Lee uh, used to, I guess still does, put on shows in the, the Massachusetts, New England area. Uh, also started up the New England Metal Hardcore Festival, uh, which is returning this year with a pretty fucking stacked lineup uh, at the Palladium September 15th and 16th in Worcester. And uh, also does Sound Rink as uh, a band manager. I mean, like I said, if if... If you don't know who Scott Lee is and you listen to this podcast, I do kind of find it hard to believe that you wouldn't know who he is, at least even in name. Um, but Scott is someone, it's funny. It's funny being this age, uh, you know, almost 40, and being into a lot of the bands from, you know, that Western mass scene and so forth, and just thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, this is someone I watched on the band DVDs, uh, the band documentaries and so forth, and someone you'd constantly see shouted out in band liner notes and so forth. And it was one of those people that it was like, oh, apparently this guy is somebody. And then as you kind of start finding out who he is, uh, you just kind of are like, oh, shit, this guy has his hand in so many things. And also from the DVDs and so forth, just seems like a, a really fun, rad dude to hang out with. Um, and it was just one of those things when this uh, came across uh, my email uh, to have Scott Leon. Obviously, I leapt at it and really wanted to... Uh, talk to him, pick his brain a little bit about just a putting on a, a not anymore, but maybe moving forward again, a yearly festival, um, as well as just kind of getting into, you know, sound rink, uh, getting into the meet and greet and creating more of a VIP meet and greet experience that didn't really exist from what I remember, uh, until then. And it's just, you know, having these behind the scenes people, like I said, knowing who Scott was and what he has been doing for so long. I felt like it was one of those people that it's like, well, why wouldn't I want someone like this on the show to kind of just tell the stories that they probably have had uh, and know of for such a long time? Plus, you know, as you sort of hear throughout the chat, you know, it's 
there's so many people that we peripherally are friends with that it just kind of seemed inevitable that at a certain point in time uh, that we would end up running into each other and being introduced to each other in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so it was super rad getting to talk to, to Scott, and the stories don't disappoint, and this is a really good chat, and I'm really glad to actually see Scott Lee doing a shitload more uh, press as of late. Like, he was on the Lambgoat Van Flip podcast uh, a few weeks back, so go check out that one as well. Um, but just, I mean, even thinking about, you know, there were certain certain things that kind of were benchmarks uh, if you were into metal and hardcore late 90s, early 2000s, but really in that early 2000s scene. And it was a thing where between the Hellfests uh, and even, and really New England Metal and Hardcore Fest, and I guess Milwaukee Metal Fest to a degree, although that was not really on my radar for some reason. I, I remember it existing, but I felt like maybe those bands, from what I remember, were just too heavy. Like it was going to be like brutal death metal and stuff like that. And just bands that I thought I wouldn't like or something. I don't know. It's funny to think back about how we thought of things as a kid versus how we think about them now. Um, but the Metal and Hardcore Festival is always one that I, I just, I always wanted to go to and living here in the Midwest, uh, just was not able to go. It wasn't, you know, feasible for me to go for such a long time. Uh, I think my wife and I are going to try to go. Um, and there's kind of a few variables. If we can get someone to watch the dog, uh, and then as well as getting everything, uh, some, some time off, at least for the Friday, um, and then flights and all that kind of stuff. If we're able to, to manage all those things, hopefully that won't be much of a deterrent. I really would love to go to this, this festival and also the Palladium. Uh, I mean, it's just a legendary venue to me. Uh, you know, some of my favorite band DVDs, like I was saying earlier, were shot at the Palladium. It just, it looks like a great fucking venue and I've always wanted to go there. Um, there's, there's a handful of venues here in the States that I really want to go check out, uh, the truck in Philly. I don't think I ever went there. I don't think I was old enough to go when I lived back East. Um, the few shows I do remember going to were more of like stadium type shows. Um, so I don't think I ever went to the truck. Uh, I always wanted to go to the Norva in, uh, Virginia. And then really, I think the last one other than Palladium, I think that's it. Cause, uh, I've been to the masquerade at this point in Atlanta, uh, been to most of the venues out in LA uh, that were of significance. And yeah, I think I've kind of checked off my bucket list of venues at this point. All that said, let's get into it. Actually, shit, hold on. <laughs> I just re I just remembered, uh, I did not mention. Um, I, Scott Lee actually surprised me by being in the group, the, the thing I use to record everything, StreamYard. Uh, typically, I hop in at about 10, maybe 15 minutes before the person just to get ready, to make sure everything's good to go, all my settings are right, just to make sure all my defaults are where they should be. And uh, when I use my Bluetooth headphones, sometimes it will default to having that be my output and my input device, so my microphone and my headphones. But the funny thing was is Scott was already there waiting. Uh, and so I was like, oh, shit, and just was caught off guard. And then we just started talking, uh, as we typically do. And so therefore, uh, I think the audio, I think, is just from like my Bluetooth headphones, my Beats headphones. So I don't have in sound like this, the microphone I'm using. Uh, and for those that are watching the video, you'll <laughs> it'll be very funny uh, because I move my microphone at a couple of different points thinking that like it's not directly in my face and that I'm not picking up the best audio. So uh, it's not that bad. Uh, I just wanted to give you a heads up that I do know I am aware uh, I was not aware in the time, but uh, still a great chat nonetheless. You can still hear me just fine. Um, so enjoy this chat with Scott Lee, and I'll talk to you on the other side of it. 
But to answer your question, so I actually very recently, because of doing this show for like almost seven years now, I really fell out of love of like listening to music because it became a fucking chore to like listen to it in preparation for doing this show. And it just became this thing where like I've joked for so long, like I love music so much that I, I went and did all these different facets in it between booking shows, being in a band, writing about it, doing this podcast and so forth. And it has kind of ruined so many facets of the, of the industry for me. Cause now I can't go to a show without thinking, okay, like, this is how many people are in. What was the ticket? What was the guarantee? Like, what is it like merch cut happening? Like, you know, all these kind of things. And I'm just like breaking it down. And I'm like, I wish I'd never booked a show. I wish I didn't learn about any of this shit. Cause now it's, it's fucking ruined it for me. I, I'm the same way. We went and saw my niece's uh, uh, dance recital and, and it hmm. was just, it was this huge production and there was 35, 40 skits on it. And I thought it was just going to be like, she's, you know, four years old. I thought it was going to just be her <laughs> kid, little kid, but no, there's like a whole dance troupe. And I'm sitting there, like I started getting bored because I'm just watching, you know, it was a bunch of like four year olds to, you know, 50 year old women and guys. Right. Dance. And I just started, I'm like, all right, there's 20 bucks a ticket. It looks like you got 600 people in here. Wonder what the budget is. What's this? Two detail cops. I'm trying to break this down in my mind how much money these people are making. They're, two, they're doing two nights of this whole thing. And I'm like, damn, they, made, they probably made a pretty penny off these, these kids. You know, I'm like, damn. And I know it costs a lot of money to do the whole dance recital, to go to those classes. I don't know. I just that's where my mind goes with being former, you know, being a promoter, doing this and doing the whole thing. I so I do understand what you're saying. It's like going to a show. It's like I, I like it's like all right, what's this? How's this? How are you getting here? Blah blah blah. How's it, you read through the whole thing? You know what I mean? It's definitely I get where you're coming from. Is my point? Well, I mean, it's something that I've always wanted to do, and it, it's kind of it's kind of fitting because I when I started the show, one of the first people I wanted to have on uh, was this gentleman matt uh, dalton who used to do dirt fest i don't know if you remember yeah, yeah. that at all yeah. yep. um and so when i wanted to start this show like the idea of putting on a yearly festival intrigued me because i understand what it looked like when like i'm not a venue but it's like i understood what it was like getting the emails trying to get holds on dates trying to figure out you know packages and money and all that kind of stuff but it's like the idea of a, a yearly festival i know it has to be it's like just a 20, like I would imagine it's like a 24, seven, 365 kind of thing where it's like, it's always moving. And by the time you're at the festival you're doing, you're probably already talking to, or have already talked to people who are like, we can't do it this year, but we have, or someone with another band, Hey, we're about to put something out next year. Is there like, and you're probably already yeah, wheeling 100%. and dealing at the festival. So it's like, to me, I'm, I'm doing it. I, we, we were doing it while we were booking this festival for next year. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly how it comes down to play. You know what I'm saying? So it's like looking at everything in perspective, like what records, who's doing this, what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, or who's going to come back? Who's got an anniversary record? Who's got what, whatever, you know, that's what we're looking at. You know, it's like, well, I had, I'm not going to mention the band name. I had seven people call me about this one band and people are respected, loving the industry and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, they're not playing this year. They're going to play next year because it's the anniversary of the biggest record. I'm not, you know, blah, blah, blah. So making like, that's what we're thinking of you know when we originally did the festival the whole story about how this came about was i went uh 
when I worked with Shadows Fall back in the day, I got them on the Milwaukee Metal Fest with the Jack Koshik version. And we went there, and uh, a man that will not be named got us on the festival. Um, and we played, and it was just like, it, it was annoying. People were just, it was such a bad fucking vibe. And like, it mm. was just like, and it, me and Matt were walking around handing out the, uh, the uh, first uh, record, giving it to people, and just people just throwing it, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, damn. And we were driving home from Milwaukee, and Matt and I were just talking. I was driving, or he was driving, and I was talking to him. He's like, you could do this. You know that. You could do, like, a big, huge metal festival. And I did something prior to it called the Really Loud Music Festival with uh, a couple of good friends of mine, Mike Mannix and uh, uh, Matt Pike, not the guitar player from hmm. High on Fire, but the High on Fire, player. okay. Not, okay. not him. The, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yep, the other guy. Yep. And uh, there's this thing called the Really Loud Music Festival, and it was a really good time. We did something like that, but we brought – so, you know, Matt and I are talking about it. I'm like, yeah, we could do something like that. And I'm like, I went and talked to John Peters at Mass Concerts. He's like, hey, we're taking over the Worcester Palladium for booking, blah, blah, blah. And did a, did a walkthrough with him. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I went to shows there. Like, I saw Sam Black Church there in, in uh, Slapshot, I think. Mm. I don't remember the year. Don't ask. But and I was like, but there's a small room upstairs. And it was a dance room. But it was a, it's the foyer going to the uh, balcony. And like we can make this into a second stage. That's still be great. Yeah, blah blah. So we did that, and then we started doing shows there, and then we started doing the festival, and it all worked itself out. And so it came from like the idea came from a long ride from Milwaukee Metal Fest, basically. <laughs> you know, and it was just like I think, putting it together. <laughs> I think the thing that's interesting when I talk to, I mean, shit, almost anyone really in doing this. The thing that I always kind of latch on to is like how no one really no one really knew that this was the thing they were going to be doing. Like putting on a festival, being responsible for everything that's involved in it. Like I'm sure like the first time you were doing it, you're like, I don't know, I'm just gonna wing it. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing and becoming this thing. But it's funny to think about all the things that you probably had to learn along the way like the business side of shit where you're just like i didn't give a fuck about contracts or getting like food vendors or any of this kind like any of these kind of things that you probably didn't think you would have to know because you're like i just like music and i like fans and these are my friends and i want to have a cool show with them on it and now it's turned had, into a fucking business <laughs> i i mean i was involved with the business before doing the festival i was already a right. promoter and you no know, so i knew we knew basically what we had to do how to do this but uh, I mean, man, we didn't have fucking wristbands the first sh first year. We didn't. We, didn't we, were, we were handing out fucking zip ties. No joke. No fucking joke. Not even kidding. And then a friend of mine, good friend of mine, he was like, he got the clue and he went, "Oh, I got zip ties in my car. I can just sell these zip ties in the parking lot." So there was people selling zip ties coming to metal. That's a true story. I can't tell you the names <laughs> people involved. I won't rat them out, but it's true. Um, yeah, man, we built the formula. We built some things up, and we made some, you know, crucial mistakes. But we also made some really cool, cool mistakes that turned into very cool things. You know, it's like, you do know, you we have a do, Yeah, we tried to do a third stage at another venue down the street, and mm. that turned into stupid. It was just dumb, bad idea. Um, we try. Uh, we were trying to do. We were trying to do like three days, and it was like first year was like three days. We're like. 
no, we're gonna die. We're, somebody's we're gonna somebody like it was a bad idea, and like got it down to like okay, we're gonna do a pre we're gonna do a a, 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 a pre party day, and then we'll do uh, Saturday and Sunday. You know what I mean? So that's why we just build the formula. You know, it's like we what we tried to do with the Palladium Worcester Palladium, and we tried to make it a European festival with twenty five hundred people. That's what we tried to do. And we we did the DVDs, we did everything, we made it look bigger than fucking life, and which, and that's what was our goal, and it worked, and there was no festivals here like that, and then suddenly festivals came popping up, and it was like, and it it just became it's it was, you know, people were offering money, bigger money, this that and the other thing, and like we did a really good job for about fifteen years, of making this whole thing work together and put it. And just try to put the best show we could put on without increasing the ticket price, doing this, doing that. And we did a great job with it. And like that was one, I was like, we can't do this anymore in here. It's too, it's, you're not gonna get the best bang for your buck. You're not gonna get the great, the bands, what you wanna do because you're gonna, you, you know, it's inflation, band prices go up, everything goes up. So that's why I stopped doing it in the first place. And to bring it back, we, we did a thing last year called Tattoo the Earth. Yeah. And I brought, you know, it was like, you know, me and Just, uh, Justin Leach from Mass Concerts um, put it all together and with John Peters. And it was like, we had a great time. It was so much fun. I'm like, I'm like okay, cool. Let's talk about Metal Fest. So we're doing So that was outside with two stages. Now, Metal Fest this year is outside with two stages as well. And we're going to be doing the small stage inside. Okay. Is, and uh, so basically that, you know, that's going to be like, might have some surprises in there. Might have a couple of interesting stuff, but it's going to be in there like a lot of like up and coming bands. Like it was, you know, it's a, a development stage, but we want to give that place, you know, people are going to be jumping off of everything. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be exciting. And then the outside is going to have, you know, the big stages where, you know, it's going to be a huge concert type of thing. It'll be awesome. So a couple questions out of that. And I'll start with this one just because it's something that just popped in my head, but you're talking about the outdoor stage. Now, I know here with the intersection, they're one of the only venues outside of now, I guess, the Crowfoot and Pontiac, where they kind of have an outdoor area to hold bigger shows and so forth. Um, and I know we have, like I said, the one outside of the lot in uh, the intersection. The only show that I know of, just maybe because of how, how monumental it was for the band, was the Ghost Inside show that was out there at the Palladium yeah. outside. Ah, there's, there's Our, something, there was something else there that was really big, too. The half the half heart oh, okay. Yep, the reunion. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna. So I guess that does answer my question. Is that something that the Palladium has expanded? Uh, is that yes. some something recent, or is it been going on for quite a while? Uh, last two years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, some situations came about, and you know, it's like got permission from the city doing some stuff, and yeah, man, it's great. You know, I went and saw Weezer there the other day. It was outside. There were seven thousand people. It was great. I wondered where that was because my friend Frank's on that tour uh, right now. So I've been seeing like every day him updating, posting stuff on uh, from uh, that. You might know actually know him because I think they actually did play one of the festivals back in the day when he was the vocalist for the world we knew. Oh, Frank. Dumb Frankie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's funny how he has so many nicknames for so many different people that I know that know him. Uh, listen, I love Frank. He's great. He's just dumb Frankie, you know? Well, it was like uh, Patrick from Ice Nine, ex Affiance, or I guess still Affiance, technically, was like, we were all hanging out one day and he was like, Spaghetti Frank. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard that too. I called him Dumb yeah. Frank. 
I love him. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, he absolutely does. Um, it's it's looking at this festival though. Like something that I think was always interesting to me was how it felt. And I know this is going to sound like very like no shit, obviously. But like when you look back at the festival lineups and you think about you know like Lamb of God is your like headliner on your Saturday for this year, and like you see like Hatebreed and Shadows Fall and some of these bands, and to think of like how I don't want to call them baby bands, but like that they were kind of like your like you had them when they weren't really oh, the bands baby. they have they're become. Not, call them baby bands. Okay, like, baby. Lamb of God played the first time for the festival one o'clock in the afternoon. Straight up, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it, it, it's these bands like Hatebreed, you know, that third stage that I talked about? They played that third stage one year. Um, hmm. And then, uh, yeah, it's like, these, this is how this grows. This whole community grows, you know what I mean? It's like followers, you know, making, you know, playing one o'clock in the afternoon, New England Metal and Hardcore Festival. Now you're headlining, you know, this year, the return of the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival for Lamb of God. They're a great band. They've always been a great band. They're great human beings. All, all of them that have been involved with it. It's like it's so cool to see that. Like knowing, like, damn, you played at one o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> Saturday. Now you headline in a motherfucking thing. It's great. It's awesome. It's good well, I was gonna say to me, I feel like it showcases like when I think there's certain eras of hardcore metal and so forth, especially like that East Coast stuff. It's like. You know, I think of like the Hellfest and stuff like that. Like I never went, but because of the DVDs, you got to like experience it as best as you could before the internet became what it is now. And same with like the New England Metal and Hardcore Festivals, either between the band DVDs or the DVDs subsequently that you released of, of some of the shows, that it, it always felt like such a tight-knit community. Like it was almost like the excuse where everyone's like, oh, fuck, like, oh, you're playing this? Oh, well, you know, we're going to get in some trouble tonight. Like yeah, that, it, it felt that. Bigger, that it felt bigger than just another festival like it felt like a family gathering of sorts and i feel like when i see the lineup now i feel like that's the thing that like is awesome about it like you had a five-year hiatus basically for if math is right and to see all the bands that are on it it's like it's still doing the thing that i feel like it does where it's the legacy of the festival and you have now these bands that are in some essences becoming legacy bands and then you're still supporting the up and coming bands as well. So it feels like it's it's this thing where it it feels so like like a time capsule of sorts. Like when I see like the bands and I think of it, it's like this is exactly what I would expect it to be. Because it's it's the mainstays that are always there that when I think of New England Metal and Hardcore Festival, it's these things. Uh, I don't know if Mike D did any of the graphic design work for this, but like that wouldn't surprise me if any of that shit, because like I used to see him always post like got the new ad map for the whatever and like it's like it's just the things that you expect year in and year out from this festival and it's nice to see that like it's coming back and it has all of those same elements that always drew me to wanting to go to one mike d is doing a shirt and we're gonna have a beer for the festival and i'm having him we're talking about him designing the beer can for the festival the beer is coming from a company out here in western mass called tim bridge brewery which uh joe from within the ruins it's his brewery tyler Really. I know them from Tyler. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, but yeah, I talked, and we're also talking to him. I'm talking to him and Jeremy Saffer about mm. doing like kind of a museum. That's oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, so we're talking about that, and uh, yeah, Mike T, Mike T's artwork is always like part of this whole festival. Um, 
is uh, you know the early years you know it's great love it i'm very excited about having him i talked to him today in fact i was like yeah I, you know we're talking about the beer can and stuff like that so that was exciting but uh yeah man like looking at all this stuff and like i mean i never putting this together i didn't think it was going to be this big i never thought it would be like i never thought we'd do dvds i never thought we'd do anything like that um look and you know it's like it's you know people looking at this just like Oh, it's our weekend away. It's our this. It's our summer. It's our metal and hardcore summer camp. Yeah. It's like somebody even said it's like it's the metal and hardcore gathering of the juggalos, but the metal and hardcore version. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> How many buttholes do you see at this festival? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know if some wacky shit. But um like it's it's pretty exciting. It's and we're very I mean it's like I don't I didn't know it was gonna be like this. You know what I mean? It's like it's pretty cool. I'm really happy we're doing it outside. You know what I mean? I think, it, you know, hopefully it doesn't rain. But, but, <laughs> you know? I think the thing, too, that, you know, when getting the opportunity to talk to you, it kind of segue a little bit away from, from the, the festival uh, itself. But, you know, when I got the email and they were like, hey, you know, we have Scott available. And I was like, yo, this is be rad because, like, like, when I started – doing this show there were like a handful of people because it was the show started very diy i just slid into people's dms like it kind of was like a, hey do you know someone so can you help me get someone so and there was a, like a hot minute where i was like oh, it would be really interesting to get scott because like i just knew you from like all these dvds and you seem like a rad fucking like a good time had plenty of stories and i was like that's the kind of like energy and vibe i wanted on this show but i think the other thing too you know as i'm now older and can kind of look at something from a different perspective was it hard ever to maintain the friendships when you're starting to mix business and friendships together? Yes and no. Um, to be honest with you, um, you know, just trying to be the best human being you can be, but also keeping in mind that you're, you have a business aspect of it. And if people don't, it, it, I mean, have I lost friends because of this? I, I wouldn't say that. Have I gotten hmm. into arguments with friends? Yeah. Oh, wholeheartedly. Um, but you know, just gotta keep your eye on the prize and try to keep be the best human being you can be. That's it. And have like you gotta realize this whole thing, metal and hardcore. It, nobody's gonna, you know, it's not rocket science. We're not curing cancer here. We're not. We're we're doing something that's trying to, you know, give people joy and or release. You know, it's not trying to. I mean, it, it's like it's having a good time. You know what I mean? You know, it's like I think that's one thing, but. You know, to have I told people to go fuck their mother? One hundred fifty percent. One hundred fifty. You know, it's just like it's, and I still have great relationships with those people too. You know what I mean? Have people told me to eat shit? Yeah, of course. It's just it's it's part of the game. But you know, just got to be a good human being. Just got to put your money where your mouth is and just try to do the best thing you can do, and not rip anybody off. Yeah. You know? Without necessarily naming names, but it was, I'll at least say for those listening, it was someone who was on this show who used to be involved in some of the other festivals that were out that way and owned a label. But I think that's always the interesting thing uh, about that is like everyone kind of starts off their journey, it seems. And like I was saying in the beginning, like starts off this journey kind of being a fan or like just wanting to do and be a part of this. And then as you kind of start getting more into it and kind of making a career out of it, it kind of can turn the, well, you're my friend and we're just doing this shit to all of a sudden it's like, dude, like kind of need to pay me or like, you know, there becomes real shit involved. And all of a sudden it's like, 
Well, I thought you're my friend. You're like, I am still your friend. However, this is also a business and, and or I'm doing this job for you and it requires you to pay me uh, or to do this thing or whatever. And I know that like there have been times that it had like even on the small scale of what I've done, like I've had to piss people off because they're like, well, you owe me this. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> like you signed a contract it said this and these were the terms you agreed to it now like the day of like you want to change everything and no i'm not fucking doing that so sorry right. tough shit <laughs> this is what it is you know it's like whatever the piece of paper says the email that you signed off on is what it is you know bottom line yes. you know it's like that's what i that's what i always agree to you know trying to make make this all work you gotta you can't be a scumbag in this business because the business is so small you know what i mean yeah and like Boy. you know well, I was to say, how many people that have already name dropped that you know that I'm like, yeah, these are good friends of mine. So it's like, <laughs> like that's that's how not far removed this ind- this industry as a whole really has been. As I've learned, it's like, thankfully, I've been a shitty person and I've been a bad like person. I mean, even like having just had Mike D back on, um, we, I posted the episode a week or so ago, but it was a thing where like he got into some shit from saying something on the episode, and I it was so early on in the show that I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. A viral, like a true viral moment. But then what, because I'm, I mean, basically was talking about how they were working on a song with WWE and it was shit and they were finally getting it to like where it wasn't. Um, but they, he was explaining the process of how, when WWE finally reaches out to outside musicians, this is the process. And I thought it was really cool as someone who really at the time that wasn't really known how, how bands got involved with doing stuff because typically at that point they were songs that already existed like Limp Bizkit, uh, Kid Rockford, Undertaker like those were songs that were on those records WWE probably just hit them up and were like hey we'd like to use these how much is it going to cost or whatever um, so to, to find out that like Mike and Killswitch dudes were doing a song um, that it was more of like a oh shit okay like that's interesting but that was where I really learned that news sites will scour and pick through some shit. Cause like, Oh yeah. Uh, like I was under the radar. So like me getting my D through like Josh and like through, you know, basically like Josh and uh, another friend of the band. Um, it was like a thing where I was like, Oh, this is this like cool opportunity for me. People find out about the show, but I was seeing the other side of it where it's like, the music side was one thing, but then all the wrestling side of shit, like that started picking up on it. Like it truly went fucking viral. Um, and it was a thing where I remember seeing Adam D on a Reddit AMA and someone's like, what's going on with that WWE song? And he goes, Oh, Mike D talked some shit about it on a podcast. And they fucking took it from us. And I felt really bad. Cause I was like, fuck, like it really sucked. And it made me realize like, you know, and that's something Mike and I ended up talking about on this last chat was that words, there's intentions and, and there's how you communicate and that sometimes even if you have no maliciousness in what you're saying, that you have to be aware of someone else may take it a different way and that it can have ramifications that are negative and aren't the ones you want. But it's also in how do you deal with that? How do you grow beyond that? And so it was kind of a really good moment to kind of re-sort of connect with Mike and apologize, first of all, for my hand in it, even though I didn't really do anything. But just to apologize that it's like, I maybe should have known to take that out. And like now when there's something said, sometimes it'll be like, let me take that out just so like that doesn't happen. Um, and I think that's just getting older. I think that's, that's the part of, as I now do this, it's like, you, you never know who's fucking listening. You never know what will get back to who because this industry is so fucking small. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. It's like it, it. You like you have to like watch what you say around things. Watch what you say. Like watch what you're doing. Like in every which way, shape, or form. I tell you know I I I manage manage a, a bunch of bands, and it's just like. You know, you got to be careful with everything when 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 they're saying, talking about whatever. You know, it's like, like I don't know. It's just this the world we're, the world we're in right now. You know what I mean? It's like anything. People use anything for clickbait and anything. You know, every morning I'll, I'll you know sit there and scroll through my Facebook or scroll through this and like, and it's all clickbait. A lot of it's just fucking clickbait. It's just like, why do I do this? And it's like, I don't know. I, I just. I think it's kind of junky, but <laughs> it's what we have to do right now. It's what they, what people are doing to make, you know, make a buck, you know. So yeah, that was before we, before I switched the name because initially the show just had a placeholder name of Johnson's Idol Podcast, and then I got a co-host for a little bit, and I was like, I feel like a dick having my name and face on this thing with somebody else, and then so we were brainstorming names, and <laughs> he goes, Why don't you call it Clickbaity? Because that's my last name is Baity. And I was like, dude, no one will fucking come on that show. <laughs> but now my wife has made the joke. She was like, because she, through me having the different friends and being privy to some of the conversations we have, obviously not on record, but like when people roll through town and they're like, oh, this thing or these people or whatever. She was like, I'm going to, if we ever get a divorce, I'm calling and making a show called Clickbaity and I'm just fucking ruining everybody. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, that's. You could do that, actually. Now that I think about it. Oh no! Oh no! Be nice to her. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I, I guess maybe I might be misinformed, but were you the person who started Soundrink, or did you just work for the company? Oh no, no, no! Uh, Soundrink was started by my uh, my my good friends Cody DeLong, who used to work at the Kenmore Agency with Matt Pike, not from High on Fire, but the agent. Um, and uh, my friend Jason Majot, who uh, uh, he, he works for Rock Nation. And uh, okay. he also manages some great bands, one of them being Spirit Box. Hmm. Uh, and we started working together on that, oh, fuck, 10 years ago? Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a brainchild of DeLong, and like, and then we just went to it, and like, yeah, it was just, it was, there was nothing like it at the time, you know what I mean? No. Now, now there's 100 million wannabe companies, and it's just like, yeah, we're the number number two independent, or maybe even number one independent VIP ticketing company in the world. I don't know where, where that is, but yeah, that was, we started that a while ago. That was, uh, Jason was working with Azalea Dying. And we had a meeting at the Pizzeria Uno's across mm. from the Worcester Palladium. And we put it together like on a cocktail napkin, the whole idea and what we're trying to do. So that's that's where it started. Shout sounds like Pizzeria sounds Uno's. like my wife and I, whenever we uh, go to one of our local bars here, we plan trips and it's always on cocktail napkins. <laughs> we'll do the whole itinerary. <laughs> um, but no, I like because sound drink, I remember when I heard about it because it was one of those things where, you know, grow, like originally I'm from the East Coast, like out in Delaware, which I mean, not a hotbed or it wasn't at the time. It's weird to see like, what is it? Firefly Festival or whatever the fuck's yeah. out there now. Um, 
that it's, it's weird Delaware? to see that. What was that band from, uh, hardcore band from Delaware? Uh, Clutch is from Delaware, right? Yeah, they're from Delaware. Who was it? Clutch is from Delaware, right? No, they're from uh, Virginia. Virginia. I think from I think they're from like the Richmond area. Yeah, you're right. My bad. My bad. Um, Delaware. I don't know what. I, I can't think of anyone from Delaware personally. <laughs> At least not one. But it was one of those things where like thinking about like knowing like when I started be kind of paying attention to like the scene and stuff like that, like in the late nineties, early two thousands and so forth. And, you know, your name came up with a lot of, like I said, seeing you on all these DVDs, seeing you and thank you liner notes and stuff like that. Cause those are the things that that's how we learned who people were bands and all that kind of stuff. It was an ancillary Avenue to learn all these things. Let me ask you a question real quick about liner notes. Did you read all your liner notes while you were taking a crap? No. I, did. I would read it while I, I would read it while I was like had the CD in uh, listening to it for the first time. I was just used it for toilet material before like iPhones came up. Was that, was, you know. I mean, eventually, I think I did that because we used to have or I used to have like a boombox in the shower. So when I shower, but like so then I would have CDs in there with me. But uh, no, typically first first listener. So I'd usually always sit there with the, the booklet and just kind of take it all in. Um, but it was a thing where. Like, like I said, knowing you, like I knew of you, I knew who you were, but like when I heard when Soundrink was starting, I had thought that it was like, okay, Scott's, Scott's leaving the East coast. He's going out West. He's starting this, this other venture. And it seemed like this thing to me where it was like, oh, that's really interesting. Cause I don't know that people would pay money for a meet and greet. Like, because it's, it was still kind of around the time of, especially with the internet kind of being young, that it's like, people could be like, Oh shit, the band's staying here. And you could find the information or know that you could wait in line before the venue opened or stay after near the buses or whatever, and would be able to like meet the bands and so forth. So the idea of some of the, the idea of a paid meet and greet and what did it look like? And I remember just thinking, Huh, I don't know if I don't know how well that's going to do. I don't know if it's going to be sustainable for very long. And here we are all these years later. And I think about I think about it all the time when I see them. And I'm like, God damn, Scott. Scott was ahead of it. Like he knew. <laughs> we were it was it was really interesting because we see these people doing these meet and greets and they were just the unorganized crap. And it was terrible. And it was done by just I don't know, dumb managers that were doing it. And uh, you know, doing the Palladium and doing shows for so long, just like, I'm watching it, I'm like, you gotta do this. And we organized it, we did this, we used it, you know, developing zip ties. Yeah, <laughs> zip ties. It all goes back to zip ties. But uh, doing all the, you know, putting this in perspective, and it's just like, yeah, man, people want to meet people and get shit signed, and you know, ask the, the couple dumb questions, or do this, or find out about their, it, it gets you closer to the artist's Meet you, you like I uh, just witnessed a meet and greet Q and A with Currents. Currents just did their mm. headline tour, sold out headline tour, and it's like I, you know, you know, the first day was at the Palladium upstairs, and then like, and then I went to the New York show, and I'm watching these Q and As, and these fans love it, and they're like, hey, you know, they're asking the questions, doing this, how's it, and it just makes the experience of going to a concert so much better for a lot of these people. You know, it helps the bands. It makes more money for the bands. It makes more money for, you know, it's a good thing for all the way around. It's another marketing tool for for promoters for, you know, to get the word out about. Ch- it's it's not a bad thing at all. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to spend that much money to meet this. I'm like, 
you're you're gonna spend that much money. You're getting the t-shirt, the poster, the laminate, the lanyard, and you get to meet the band, and you you're you're you know you're gonna buy a t-shirt anyways, you're gonna do this. It's it enhances the whole experience. It's a great thing, I think. You know. I do and it, works. it has been yeah, I was just saying it has been interesting to see how it's grown, how you know, I feel like it's almost created like a friend of mine is huge into Coheed um, and was talking about how she has been like doing the meet and greet things at some of the different events and so forth. And uh, I guess upgrading the, the meet and greet package or something. I, I don't really know. I don't know their, uh, what their meet and greet packages look like, but it's a thing where like kind of hearing her discuss like, Oh, I met so-and-so or a friend of mine and I, who I met through this Facebook group thing, whatever. And it's just so interesting to see how like even the meet and greet, industry has created almost like a, a subset of like super fans that then become friends and it's like an event oh, and they go do this thing and it's really interesting and, and to even kind of take it a step further and see like what ice nine has done where it's like it's almost how like their convention i feel like was born out of the things they do at the meet and greet but like let's make it a whole convention at this point oh yeah spencer and his team are incredible people brilliant people very and he is this it, that whole what what Einstein kills and what's what they do is just they're so smart, so smart, incredible people. Um, you know, I it, it's it's just great that with the convention they're doing and everything like that, working with different people. It's you know, I'm not just saying that because they're a sound rank client, I'm just saying that because I've known Spencer for a long time. He's a great kid, great guy. I won't call him a kid, he's definitely a man, but <laughs> no, I think if you're around roughly our age within a probably 10 20 year. <laughs> window yeah. you call everyone kid regardless of how old they are um no i mean actually i'm gonna share this story just for context but i want to pose to you like if you had this moment uh or have had this moment several times i would imagine over your career but i remember uh being friends with porter and the atreya dudes like going to see them uh when ice nine was the second of four on a uh, the memphis mayfire run they did uh-huh. and I remember hearing the buzz about Ice Nine. Had seen the name, and they, you know, they used to play the 400 cap room here at the intersection a shitload of times over their like 10 year career. And I remember just it something felt different. Like there was an era, like an aura about the show before it even started. The merch line was 20, 30 deep the entire time. Uh, and as soon as most of the set they were playing was uh, Horrorwood, and like everyone knew the fucking songs like by heart. And it had only been out for like a couple of weeks, if memory serves. And I remember just being like this feels important. Like something is happening right now. This is the precipice of this band becoming something big. Um, And there's really only been probably two other times I've really, I can't necessarily say the band. I can say a tour I saw where I was like, something's happening right here. One was a trade on the curse tour when they were doing that, like that felt big and important for the scene. And then it was the Asley dying on earth. Uh, or no, not not on Earth. It was Asley dying, uh, soil work and uh, kill switch tour, mm-hmm. and I remember that feeling very important because it was kind of like right before Shadows of Security and End of Heartache was out and Soil Work was on stabbing the drama. I think it was about to come out, and like what? that felt real fucking important for the scene because like it just felt big, and it's like I remember those tours and I remember those moments feeling like looking around going like something is about to happen with these bands. I don't know in what capacity or anything like that, but like this feels like the beginning of something. 
I would imagine with the festival and stuff like that, like you've had plenty of those experiences. Are there any that come to mind when you hear a story like that, where you're like, Oh, I remember when this band was like, I knew this was about to pop off. Oh yeah. We have a God was one. Um, there's, there's a couple, man. Fucking. <sighs> got me thinking. Hold on a second. <laughs> oh man. Like, uh, I can't think of the band name. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I can't think of They have the bat for the logo. Oh, Event Temple. Yes, 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 yes. They played upstairs at the Palladium, and I watched that. I was like, yeah, there's going to be a big band. Just, just watch this. There's going to be um, another one. Um, I saw Seven Dust open for the Nixons. Great that was band. another one. Um who else? Uh saw this band Tool open up for uh band called Electric Love Hogs in Arizona once. Um I was like, that's gonna be a big band. Um also Rage Against Machine was on that bill. It was like Electric Love Hogs, Rage Against Machine, and Tool. It's wow. real that's a real show. Um oh, what else? Man. See, it's weird. Like you say, Tool, and like the first thing I I always go back to is when I saw Tool on the Lateralis tour with Meshuggah opening up, and I just I a don't know if it was the shit venue. Uh, I don't know if it was the fact that eight string guitars just didn't sound good back then because they were still figuring out how to the frequencies and such in a live setting. But I remember just being like, "This band sucks." <laughs> what to Meshuggah? Yeah, I it just sounded terrible and it was it was not good. And oh I just remember being like this band sucks. And then I got the Ozfest sampler and they I think they were on the uh I think New Millennium Cyanide Christ uh was the song on that sampler. And I was like, Fuck, this band's awesome. Why weren't they this good when I saw them? <laughs> I saw so I did I, I I used to own a record store and we did an in store with Meshuggah the day they played UMass. But uh hmm. and um and then we went and saw Meshuggah play and I was like, this is great. I loved it. And nobody understood it. Everybody was just like, why? <laughs> Excuse me. What is this? What is this band? And it was like huge Civic Center. And I was like, this is amazing. And I, I booked them before that for Metal Fest. And like, it was just, oh man. I also, okay, this is here to answer your question previously. I did a show at this place in, in Springfield, Massachusetts called The Infinity, rest in peace. And it was oh, fuck who, uh, Cannibal Corpse, Angel Corpse, think, oh, uh, Overcast and Shy Halloon. Wow, okay. Okay, alright, follow this. I got a phone call from somebody that will not be named going, hey, can you add this band on the show, on your Cannibal Corpse show. And I'm like, who's the fucking band? What is this? He's like, well, you know, it's a band called Meshuggah. It's, they're trying to do a warm-up show for their first, for their festival. They're playing Milwaukee Metal Fest. Can you add them to your show? And I'm like, and I like, it was back when it was like, I had a landline. And I'm like, hold on. And I got really excited. Because like, I knew what Meshuggah was. I knew exactly <laughs> what this was. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll put them on. I'm like, yeah, I'll put them on. I go, how much do you want? He said, can you give them 200 bucks? And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. So I did it, 
and they came and they went direct support. They went right before uh, Kingdom Corpse. Mm. Oh no, right before Angel Corpse. Excuse me. And people were just freaked out because yeah, it was the first time Sugar played in the United States was a little club in Springfield, Massachusetts. I think those kind of shows are like just so rad. Like, you know, I think one of my favorite shows for a multitude of reasons was going to finally see Turbo Negro on my birthday, like my 24th birthday. And I never, I still haven't seen them since because they don't really play the Midwest yeah. ever when they do tour the States. And it was just so fucking cool to see them. Um, and like what made it even more special, like for, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't know if people are going to give a fuck, but like uh, Mondo Generator was the opening band and it was yep. right after Nick Oliveri got kicked out of Queens. So all he played was Queen, like all the Queen stuff he wrote and all the Caius stuff that he wrote, and then, like, one or two Mondo Generator songs, and it was, like, the coolest fucking thing in a tiny dive bar in Detroit. And it was just, like, one of those things where it's, like, dude, why aren't there more fucking people here? This is so fucking rad. Oh, man. I mean, it's it's crazy, because, like, I, I did this other club in Springfield called Fat Cats, and we did everything there. We did Glass Shaw Converge. We did uh, Lamb of God, Shadows Fall. We did... One million kill switch shows, uh, <laughs> like we did hate breed shows. We had we did hate breed. We had a hate breed riot there. It was great. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it like, but like watching a lot of these bands come up, we're like, holy shit, they played this three hundred capacity room that we put five hundred people in all the time, and uh, it was just like in Springfield, Massachusetts, like holy shit. And, and like, those were like, it was awesome. Those are awesome shows. Like, I did sh you know doing shows with like, there's a local band called Light Is the Language and Blood Has Been Shed. You know what I mean? And to be like, there'd always be like 350 people there. It was always packed. It was great. You know, good time. You know, didn't I like didn't overcast reunion like the first reunion they did came back, and uh, it was like, it was amazing. And like, it was like it, we sold 600. We sold 600 tickets to a 300 capacity room, and it was. You know, you, you do the math. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's just, like, those shows, like, are, like, oh, man, they're so good. You got to, like, that's what this is here for. That's, putting on a lot of those shows, I'm very, very proud of, you know? Like, yeah. another, like a band that I'm proud of for Metal Fest is Hunter Demons, you know? It, it's, like, you know, the, you know, the first records lineup, you know? It's it's amazing, you know. Bruce has been a good friend of mine for years. Reese and all those guys, very excited about that. That's going to be awesome, you know. And like, you know, it, it's the whole the the whole like. I was talking to I forgot who I was talking about this. I was like, I go, this is the best metal fest lineup we've ever 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 done, top to bottom. And they're like, you really think so? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like it's got Lamb of God. It's got Parkway Drive. It's got Shadows Fall. It's got, like, you know, it's like, you know, Black Dahlia Murder. Fuck. Amazing. You know, it's like Hatebreed, Terror. It's got everything. It's, you know, it, it, it it's like, it's amazing. I'm very, very excited about this. You know, it's like, I don't think there's, I, I mean, I don't think there's, like, another festival unless you go to Europe like this. You know what I mean? I think that's been the thing. I was talking to uh, Kristen. Um, I think their last name's Taurus. I would just always see like the people's first names or like at blah, blah, blah. Um, but she was uh, on Twitter the other day was like, 
uh, Bloodstock uh, media applications are are open. And then she was like looking forward to whatever. I don't know. And then I was like, it's my goal at some point to, to be invited or to at least get approved to go to an overseas festival. Like, you know, thankfully the handful of festivals I've gotten to cover here in the States have, I've been spoiled. They've mostly been Danny Wimmer presents festivals, which uh, going to anything that's not been that has been really eye opening to show, like, see how well those fucking things are ran. Cause you're just like, you go to anything else, and you're like, this is a shit show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just from my perspective. I, I can't speak from what it's like as the band and how they get treated and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, something kind of a, a different take on the question I just kind of asked about, like, you know, what's a, a band that you saw that you were like, holy shit, this is like going to be awesome. I remember, actually, I think it might have culminated at their appearance at a New England Metal Festival back in like 20, 2012 or 13. Uh, the guys in Wilson. Um and I remember, I know it was the year Bleeding Through was on, because Jason, their guitar player, uh, was like, oh, man, I've always wanted to see Bleeding Through. I never got to see him. And then he FaceTimed me during Love Lost in a Hail of Gunfire when he was watching them at the Palladium, um, which was super rad. I'll never forget it. But uh, it's a thing where, like, I remember seeing those guys because they, they're from Lansing. And it was a thing where I saw them all the time as a local band. And I remember seeing them going, like, this is a band that barring any fights any bullshit like they have something they have the it factor that like should take them somewhere and i remember after they would do some regional touring i'd see them in it and there was that moment where you're like oh this isn't this isn't that local band anymore this right. is a band this is like a band who has learned how to put on a show and this is the band that now can garner money for people to go see them and not just be like, Oh yeah, they're the band that like, we'll just guest list everyone. Cause no one gives, no one wants to pay to see them. Yeah. And it made me think like of all the shows that you probably have booked over the years, like, was it a trip for you to see that with probably like Lamb of God or Killswitch or any of those where it's like, they'd go do a tour or whatever. They'd come back and you're like, Oh fuck. Like you're a real band now. Uh, they were always real bands to me, to be honest with you. They were, uh, because I would try to put them on supporting situations. Um, you know, when I had tour, when I had bands coming through, it was really funny. Uh, I, do you know any? Do you know any Western Mass metalcore or hardcore history at all? I mean, kind of through obviously like Tyler uh, and stuff like right. that, and just a lot of the the different bands that I know that are incestuous you know, as shit. You know, Aftershock, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yep, I have a couple Aftershock records actually. Okay, cool. So Aftershock, so I had a show with this small band called Sepultura upstairs at the Palladium, and I had, and I begged and pleaded to get them on as the opening act, mm. and it was basically done, and then they canceled the tour, and the band <laughs> ended up breaking up because whatever they so did. So this obviously is when they had Max, like the original lineup. Before yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It, was, it was the Roots lineup, yeah. Okay. And, right. and like, yeah, so I really looked at these bands as like real bands, you know what I mean? And like, I always tried to like put all like help out as much as I could with doing things like that. It's like, um, you know, it, 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 I, I had, uh, I'm a big UFC fan. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Zeus, the producer. 100%. Okay, cool. He came over, he comes over and we watch the fights together. He calls it. He calls my house Club Lee, and we all watch <laughs> fights. And we're talking. And he was in a band called Doom Nation. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I remember, remember that time you put us on. 
with Deftones at the Palladium. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, that was the greatest show we ever did. I was like, I'm the original show. He's <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, he put, like, I always looked at these bands as like, okay, cool. They're not just, I mean, granted, there's some shit local bands. Don't get me wrong, but like, <laughs> like, like, you know, like bands like Aftershock, um, uh, Kill Switch, Shadows Fall, All That Remains, Unearth, like all those bands I looked at, like Hatebreed. Um, you know, it's like they were real bands. A lot of these bands, like Converge was always a real band to me because they would do tours. They would go out and tour. And right. And like, yeah, I mean, like this is like real stuff. Like, always looked at these bands as never like a local band. You know, I mean, they're always going to do something. You know, majority of them, did, majority of them, good amount from Western Mass did something. You know, what I mean, or had a chance to do something. You know, and like, it's like, I don't know. I feel good about helping them. You know, what I mean, it makes me feel good that I help careers in some way, shape, or form. Well, it's like so weird because it's like I remember, like once I moved away. Like, it's funny, like, growing up, most of what I got into from a musical perspective that wasn't, like, the stuff I was seeing on MTV or, like, my parents was a lot of, like, what the people I was going to school with were bringing back from, like, their older siblings or siblings that lived, like, in Mass, lived over in, you know, New York or wherever, or even Philly, and was the thing where it's, like, I was more brought, like, hip-hop and R&B. And so moving out to the Midwest when I did, I remember, you know, I talk about this quite a bit where it's like the culture shock of just being from the East Coast and then moving to the Midwest where you're like, what the fuck is this? I remember the first thing that was uniquely from like here was someone like was like, oh, check this out. And it was I was listening to it. I was like, this is garbage. What the fuck is this? And someone's like, this is cool, right? This is ICP. It's their tunnel of love. Like it's their new EP. And I was like, this ain't it. I don't know. <laughs> I was not a fan for the longest time. One year, the Juggalos came to Metal Fest, and they were handing out like all they had their 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 like uh, uh you know their vans with all the stuff, and they were handing out samplers and everything like that. And it was really funny. <laughs> like, what are, you, <laughs> are these people? It was very funny. It's a it's a thing though. That, like, I it was interesting to move out here and then to eventually be so enamored with basically the scene that I essentially would have been growing up around if I would have stayed out there between like all the bands you're mentioning. And it's funny. Cause like, you know, you were asking like how familiar am I with like some of the, the Western mass scene and stuff like that, like going back to MySpace, And like, I would just go down rabbit holes of following the bands who follow the bands who follow the bands, whatever. And I remember unbeknownst to me, uh, cause I didn't know, Ty- I didn't know Tyler in this sense. I just had found this band once beloved. And I was like, yo, this man's fucking sick. Their album cover looks like Papa Shango to me because like, I liked wrestling. And I remember messaging them on MySpace and it happened to be Tyler. And then like he and I formed like a friendship and shit. And so much so like it has still remained all these years. Like, you know, he's the homie. Like we fucking still hang out and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny to me to like feel like I was a part of a scene that I literally was not there for but because of the internet and kind of the infancy of what it was, the access that the DVDs and so forth made it feel like you were a part of this scene that was about that, that was popping off. Um, and like I said, knowing how incestuous the fucking scene was where it's like, you know, like one of my favorite bands. And, and it's funny when I look back and I tell you the story, like that I saw in the show and I was like, I don't fucking like this band, but I love blood has been shed. And that's still one of my favorite bands. And it's been crazy because like, you know, Justin just posted that uh, them him doing beginner's luck. And every time, like, I had 
uh, Hojo on a while back, and I asked him mainly. I just punished him about blood has been shed because it, it's like, you know, I was like, dude, I remember you did an interview with Mike D, and like someone asked you about what this new blood has been shed record is going to be like, and you said like songs were done and it was like going to be out probably in the next year. That was fucking twelve years ago. Where the fuck is this record? And then some sites picked up on that. And then Corey's kid found me on Instagram or, e- or on YouTube. Then I was like, yo, I actually sent your dad a fucking DM like three years ago. Please tell him to check it out. Like if he's interested, I would love to have him on. Fast forward like a week and I got Corey. I've had Justin on. And at this point, it's like I even like I think I can say this. I have a blood has been shed demo that Corey sent me that he's like, yeah, here's how weird and wild this shit was going to be. And even the demo phase, I was like, what the fuck is this? And it's still a thing that I'm hoping, praying, whatever, the gods will fucking align. I mean, I got to see Botch this year. I went to Seattle and saw them do their reunion. And that was a band that I never thought I'd get to see. I never thought I'd get to see Refuse. Like, there's so many bands that broke up right when I got into them that I was like, like, Blood Has Been Shed is like the last one for me. We, uh, I was at a, uh, so I was, I was with Zeus and we were at, uh, it was, I am in Kublicon and Dyer's Murder with Webster in Hartford. And so the um, recent tour that just went yeah. there. Okay. We're sitting there, we're at, me and Zeus are in front of the house, and I look over, I'm like, Zeus. He's like, what? I think that's Corey. He's like, no. I'm like, yeah. He's like, no. He's like, oh, yeah. He goes, hold on. He goes, I'm wa-. he walks over. He's like, yeah, it's Corey. Come over here. Like, we're like hanging out with him. He's like, what? I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, my kid loves the biz. I'm like, Cool, like awesome. So we hung out and like, you know, I I, I go straight up. I asked him in, to do a reunion. So I don't think that's I don't know what that's going to leave, but I would love to see a, a bloodshed reunion. I'd pay good money for that. I mean, it's funny to me because like even between between talking to everyone in the band, like they're all. I mean, obviously anyone who knows them, they're all humble as hell. But like, it's funny that they don't think that. None of them think that they did anything worth still being remembered for all this no time shit. later. No shit. And- I'm like, you changed so many motherfucking people with that music. I have a friend of mine. This is a true story. A friend of mine, John Eddie, he's a lighting guy for the Deftones. And he played it for the, the guitar player for Deftones. He's like, Steph. where's this band now? And they're like, they're yeah. broken up. Like, it's the guitar, it's a singer, Kill Switch Engage. It's a. Uh, uh, it, it's a you know former singer in Killswitch. It's a drummer Killswitch. Blah blah blah, and like it, it yeah. It's, it's like holy shit. This band could have been huge, and it could have been. It just still it still can be. I mean, like like I said, I'm looking at what Botch has been doing, and I'm like, that could be blood has been shed because I don't think Botch was ever to the level like where they were playing those size rooms. They're selling out that fucking quick. I I think could be wrong. And I don't have money or skin in the game, but I do think Blood Has Been Shed could come back to that kind of a level where they play way bigger rooms than they ever did. Especially if you do, like, I almost thought about, I joked with uh, Corey uh, from God Forbid the other day. I was like, God damn botch. Like, I just went and spent a shitload of money to go see him in Seattle. And I go, then they fucking announced this two-day oh, yeah. tour with Converge and Caven. And I go, I've never gotten to see Caven or Converge. And I go, so they got me thinking about going to fucking New Jersey on my wife's birthday, <laughs> sure. just so I can go see those two. You should go see. You should go see that show. Your I wife know. will understand. 
Um, I think I think if you did a Blood Has Been Shed show, and it was the only show in New England, and you did it, and there would be fifteen hundred people at least at that show, one hundred percent. And I think there would be, it would be exciting. I I was talking to Tommy from Sleeping Giant. I'm a big Sleeping Giant fan. Like, love that band. Um, not because of the religious, just because they're a good fucking band. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um. He's like, you ever book Blooders from Shed, we'll reunite. <laughs> I'm like, you know how many people will say that? I mean, it'd, it'd be incredible. I mean, but the moons have to align and all that bullshit, and I think it's... I I think, though, like, because I remember when Tyler was working on his solo record, he was like, I'm going to try to get Toby. And I was like, dude, Toby doesn't do shit anymore. Like from what I, I mean, from what I've heard, basically after Aftershock was done, he, oh, I offered really... I offered Aftershock to play Metal Fest. I said no, straight up. <laughs> and then he was like, I remember him sending me the file. He's like, guess who I got? And I was like, how the fuck did you get him? Oh, and I was like, this dude like doesn't do shit. <laughs> Supposedly, Toby, Toby Duckiewicz in Devil's Head Records. There's no like, Acacia Strain's not here without that. You know what I mean? No. Um. You know, there's so many different things that that band brought, Aftershock brought to. There's no Kill Switch Engage. There's no John Donia Shadows Fall now in Anthrax. There's no Matt Bashan who from Shadows Fall who, you know, there's so many different things that were from that band. You know what I mean? And like that band meant a lot. It didn't do too much. Played in Japan, but played out here a lot. But. I mean, damn, man, that was so fucking good. And I like, and like, I talked to Toby and talked to Adam. We talked to Toby and Adam once in a while. And I'm like, I told him, I'm like, listen, you want to play Metal Flash? I'll give you a bunch of money. Come on. And I don't. You got to learn the songs. You got to leave those. Yeah. Old man. I think that's like, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's like what's been stopping a lot of people, I think, from, from some of these things is like, it's like I know, going back to Blood's Machine. I know, like Corey, after it broke again, that I had more information about the the unreleased record, what state it was in, if the band would ever get back together, all this kind of stuff. I remember Corey emailing me like a week later after everything, and he was like, "Dude, like so many people are like, yo, are you still interested in finishing this record? I forgot we were working on it, you know, because they were. It was kind of a collaborative effort, from what he was saying. Like it wasn't just the main guys; it was a bunch of other people." And so he was like, I, I don't know. I might, this thing might start being a thing again or whatever. And like, obviously nothing came of it, but it was a thing where it was really cool to like a week later feel like, yeah, people give a shit. Fucking do something because people care. And even at the very least, just throw the fucking demos out there. Like, who cares if they don't sound like a, a completed record? I don't think anyone's going to give a shit at this point. But it's a thing where it's like, it's just interesting sometimes to, to, in doing these conversations and like, there's been some of my best episodes. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember this band Revis, they were kind of like, they're signed to, I think like Sony or whatever. They did a tour of Pearl jam and that song caught in the rain. Uh, they're on the Punisher soundtrack that had, a yeah. yeah. So like they had a, a fucking great sounding record, only put out one record and then basically just disappeared. And I found the singer on Instagram one day, sent him a DM, had him do my podcast. It was like the first like 30 episodes. So it's kind of rough. Um, but it's funny because like that is one of my like most commented on, most viewed video, like not downloaded episode, but on YouTube, it is like one of my biggest episodes. 
And it's one of those things where I'm like, sometimes like you may think no one gives a fuck about this thing that you love, but then you see something like that and you're like, no, people really do fuck with this thing. And it's so cool to like find like-minded people like that. But it's also a bummer when you like, probably more so from you where you're like, Hey man, I can do something to where here's a platform for you to play. Do this one fucking thing. I'll throw money at it. So it's not like you're just doing it for shits and giggles. And then you're just like, well, no one's probably going to give a fuck. No, I don't want to. And you're like, Oh, so annoying. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's very annoying. It's uh, you know, it's like doing like we did the, I did the shadows fall reunion show. And like, um, you know, I was like, we, we have set up, ready to go. Oh, this thing called COVID happens. Yeah. We postpone, postpone. And I'm like, cool. You, wanna, you guys want to do it? want to try it? We'll see what happens. You know, there's some protocols, whatever. People are going to get COVID. It's going to happen. But, you know, you want to do it? And like, yeah, and we ended up putting 3,000 people in the palladium, basically. You know what I mean? And, like, it was a great time. But it's like. And it, it was it rejuvenated everybody's love for that band. I feel like you know what I mean. And it was like, and a bunch of people got COVID, but it was still a great time. Buddy <laughs> um, in darkest hour got COVID. Kind of, I guess, piggybacking off of that and getting a little bit serious, just because. I mean, again, kind of. It's so weird because, like, sometimes I. So the last show I got to see before COVID literally shut down everything was the kill switch like the like the torch august burns red tour we were the second date of the tour uh i remember talking to jb and we were making fun of it you know and then an hour later uh i did one with justin and in that hour and like i'm told this story to death but you know, haven't heard it but it was a thing where like just being backstage for that hour where it's like ha, like this is yeah bullshit it's gonna be the flu not a big deal to then like right before I hit record with Justin, it was like, I think Portland's done because they out west they're enforcing like twenty five percent cap things and da 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 da. Oh, now it's not just Portland. Now it's California. Oh, yeah. Now it's this. And to like even at the end of the night, like we were supposed to see the tour again less than a week later in Detroit. So like you know saying goodbye to Josh and uh, Kyle who was filling in for like the torch on drums and some other people I knew. It was like, hey man, I'll see you in a week. You know. And I remember my wife being kind of like bummed because she was like, "Do you have like, can we go?" And I was like, "No, I'm going to say goodbye real quick." And it took us an extra 10, 20 minutes to do all that. But I'm so glad I did because literally the next day everything fucking shut down. And the this serious thing I was going to ask you is, you know, with your career being so wrapped up in live music and, and the entertainment business of it, what was it like going through that for you? Oh, it sucked. Um, like anybody else, but I did, we did something else and I pivoted a little bit. We had a, I own, I also own a merch company called Downright Merch. And okay. if you own a merch company and you're an e-commerce based company during COVID, you were blessed by any God that there is. And everybody bought merchandise from the bands. So yeah, it sucked. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, I had my bands couldn't tour, could, you know, doing this, push, postpone records, doing that. Sound rank is just fucking pause, you know. And, but I was blessed in the fact that I had a, a merchandise company. So it sucked. I, I, looking back, going, 
I, I, you know, I have my whole like, like everybody else in the world, like conspiracy. Like, what's this fuck? Why was what the fuck? You know, like knowing like one day COVID's really bad, and then the next day we have a new president. COVID's really it's okay, and like I don't know, I just it that was kind of weird to me, and like the whole thing was kind of weird to me, and I just didn't didn't get it, and I don't, I still don't get it to this day, and that's not my, you know, whatever, but how did it, it, it fucking sucked, it was fucking terrible, you know, sitting, you know, not seeing people, not doing anything, you know, it's like, I don't know, it was terrible, I'm, I'm very much an outgoing person, like to meet friends, go to shows, do, do things, you know, have a good time, go to dinner, blah, 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 yeah, it sucks, I mean, but I mean, other people had it a lot worse than I did. Don't get me wrong, you know. But right, I think for me, the 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 human side of, and you know, I did a chats with some like with Amy uh, from Adam Splitter and Frank and JB and the other people where it was just kind of like showcasing what it was doing to people in different facets of the industry because it it's interesting to me. But I also think to me as an inquisitive person, it's interesting to me to think about the learning aspect of, okay, this was my livelihood. This is like, I am Scott Lee. Everyone knows me as Scott Lee from the Palladium, from Soundering, from all these things. And they're all based around music. When that's now taken away and you're kind of left with alone, like most of us were, who do you like, you kind of have to re-figure out who the fuck you are because now the thing you're known for is gone. And so to me, like when I say like, it seems like such an obvious question of like, how was the pandemic for you? Like, yeah, it fucking sucked. It sucked for everybody. But I think the thing that gets interesting about it from a human perspective is, especially for people that were in this industry is what did it do to you to where you kind of maybe had to go inward and figure out, maybe find a new why find a new purpose, find a new identity that doesn't revolve around this thing that has I, been your whole identity. I think that's one of the reasons why I did the metal fest again, to be honest with you, because I saw, mm. you know, doing, I, 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 you know, we did tattoo the earth, like I said, but doing, you know, doing the, that shadows fall show doing this, I just, you could be taken away from you anytime by any, and you know, by, you know, said, you know, whatever COVID, whatever the fuck you want to call it. And any which way, shape, or form. So, yeah, man, it sucks. But you know, it's like, I mean, like anybody else, you know, that was a business owner in the in this whole thing. You pivot. You try to do the best you can. You don't, you know. And that's what I did. Um, you know, we, you know, we try to do different things. We try to do, you know, it's like doing, you know, live like shows, you know, uh, you know, virtual shows, whatever the fuck you want to call it. You know, doing Q and A's. We were doing things like that through sound rank and through for downright and just like you know trying to do different pivoting trying to make it all work yeah did we all get mad and you know run in the woods and punch a bunch of fucking trees and drink a bunch of fucking jameson yeah i think we all did something like that similar but you know just got to take it what it is and just work the best you can and make sure to fucking take showers at least three times a week you know <laughs> it's funny you you hit a you have said a word repeatedly during that little bit that is something I've talked about so much on the show is pivoting. Um, something I've been a firm believer in is, you know, I, 
growing up, I always kind of knew I wanted to do something in music, but like it just was music, you know? And when you're a kid, you don't really know anything other than being in a band. You don't understand how far reaching the music industry can be and what you can do within it. And so, you know, I talked about earlier about, it's like, yeah, I did the band thing. Kind of wasn't my thing. So I pivoted and then I found, I started booking shows. I learned how to do that. And then when that kind of wore its welcome out, I pivoted into writing about music and I wanted to make people feel like they were at shows and the vibe of what was going on. And then when that kind of, when I got just deemed as the metal guy, even though everything I covered was like Janet Jackson, Little Wayne and stuff like that, like I had more non-metal than I had metal coverage that I just remember being like, man, fuck this. I'm going to start my own thing, which became this. So I pivoted again and it just became this thing where, you know, I talk about the importance of understanding, like if something's not working the way you want it, so don't abandon it, don't quit it, find the pivot and then find your lane and find your way through it. And you'll, usually be happier in the long run because you'll have found the thing that you were supposed to be doing. One thing that I've noticed in this business in this is like you cannot one you have to you cannot like have like one single thing going on. You can't. <laughs> you shouldn't. So if you are, if, if like like it, it, or as a human being too. Like you can man, you can be part of Metallica's management team, but you should do something else to do with it. You should, you know. It's like, you know, I have great partners in all the businesses that I do. I really do. Um, and it's like whether it's merch company, whether it's sound rank, whether it's my management, whether you know my wife. I'm like, you know, it's just like you have to look at things like and. and I feel like if you don't do things like that, life becomes boring. If that makes mm. any sense to you, like I yeah. could never, I couldn't fucking, I never, I was in, I was in like a one, how do I put this? I was in a band called Windshield Meat, and it was, like, <laughs> and it was members of Scurvy. Put it that way, the pirate hardcore band, and and like. I never, I, I couldn't jerk off in time. That's what it comes down to be. Like, it's that. I never, was never in a band. I never could, I never wanted to be in a band. Didn't want to do that. Um, and this is where I came through. This is how this all worked. You know what I mean? And like, I booked shows or helped my friends move their equipment and do the, be, be part of whatever scene I could be a part of. And I had friends of mine show me the Chromags. I had friends of mine show me about, you know, more about, like, you know, learning about Metallica. There was this music store out here called Music Outlet that you go there and you learned about all this overseas European metal and all this guy. And this guy, Gary, fucking great human being, one of the best people ever, taught me so much about music. And there was another record store called Platypus out here, same thing. And there was another record store called Main Street Records, rest in, rest in peace. It was just so many we we're lucky to have so much stuff around here in northampton and different shows and all this stuff and i'm just going on a fucking ta tangent i don't know where i was going with it but learning from these things where i've had record labels i've had record stores i've done different things learned it all like trying to make things happen in music without playing knowing what how to play a power chord you know what i mean i can do a pair of diddle though i can definitely do a pair of diddle but, <laughs> You know, it's like, I think one of the things is like, 
with anything you do. She'd always try to experience as much as you can. Music's brought me to New Zealand, Australia, Europe, you know, Canada, Mexico, whatever. Um, not Japan or China yet. I need to go there, but it's like, if I, I, I mean, I've sat there. I, I, I went to Australia with a Casey Strain on a Parkway Drive tour with Suicide Silence and Data Remembering Confession, and it was probably one of the top five things that ever happened in my fucking life. Going and watch in Australia, great one of the greatest places ever. If you have a chance to go, you should go. Um, and then going to New Zealand, yeah, you know, I don't do that without music, without being a part of music and a part. So, yeah, if you can, you know, my point to you is if you can do this, you know, cool podcast and be creative with other things and do other things, you should try to do it, you know, with anybody, with anything, you know. I think the like I was saying kind of in the beginning of how we literally started, which was kind of getting fatigue and burnout and stuff like that. I had a moment about two weeks ago as of when we're recording where my wife wanted to go see the Pierce the Veil, Don Broco used tour. And for whatever reason, I guess, I mean, this is just the state of live music at this point where like tickets just get bought up by resellers. And then now the reseller price is like 200 something dollars each. And you're like, dude, this is a, 1800 2200 cap room tickets should be no more than $60 at most. Um, and I remember because I'm not this person, I fucking hit up one of the publicists of the band, like the headlining band, and I was like, Hey, is there any way? Like, I know media tickets aren't free. Can I pay face value for the media tickets and so I can take my wife to the show? And they were just like, hey, We just get you tickets. Um, and I remember as soon as I knew I had tickets, I upgraded our tickets because I knew the venue was going to be packed. So like the upgrade gets you like mezzanine seating and like yeah. a private bar with a bathroom. So I was like, I will want that as an old person now. And I just remember I had gotten paid for my podcast sponsor that day. So I used that money to do that. And as I'm watching the use play and watching my wife watch Don Broco and just like having a good time with my wife at this show, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, this fucking stupid thing that I do in my fucking office literally brought me here. It like, that's how I got the tickets. It's how I paid for all the hookups, like fucking wild. And like, it's, it's not to the level necessarily of being like, Oh, I'm, I'm in New Zealand. I'm in a whole nother fucking country, yeah. but it's fucking insane. Sometimes when you step out for just a second and just understand like this is happening because of this yep. other thing that like is to most people makes no fucking sense. Like the other time that that happened where I had that like moment where I was like, what, what the fuck is my life is waking up from a nap and I got a D or not a DM, but I got uh, hit up on Twitter. Cause I would, my podcast with Stormy Daniels was being used against her uh, in her lawsuit against Trump's attorney or whatever that she was mentally unstable and all this kind of shit. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You talked to Stormy Daniels? Mm-hmm. How was that? Was that cool? Yeah, it was pretty cool. We talked mainly about her like paranormal stuff that she was doing at the time. Uh, and just, I mean, I pretty much kept it off Trump because I didn't really want to talk about that. Um, I don't blame you there. But, but it was just like fucking wild. Like that I'm at Thanksgiving, like at a family gathering. And then because I posted something about it, I was like, didn't expect to wake up to this from a nap today. And then, like, my cousin's husband was like, so you are are you going to get subpoenaed? And I was like, and I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, subpoenaed for what? 
And he goes, yeah, I saw something about your podcast. Da, 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 da. And I was like, and then everyone was like, wait, what, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I was like one of two podcasts that she had done. And now they're trying to use it to say she's mentally unstable to like stand trial or something or that her claims that are not valid. I don't know. But like, and people are just like, so what does that look like for you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea. Uh, but again, it's just like one of those moments where you're just like, shit, I didn't think that was going to be a thing or remotely a thing. And I remember even when, uh, you know, someone that's no longer a friend now for whatever reason, but they were like, Hey, like you had Joanna Angel and like small hands on your show. Like, do you want to talk to Stormy? And I was like, sure. And like, again, it's so crazy how fucking like you're one person removed away from all of these things and you just don't know. But again, can't be a dick. Cause like those opportunities won't come your way. I, uh, I met Joanna Angel with Jesse Lee. So nice. At Warp. So nice. Uh, she's, I'm like, like, hi, nice, nice to meet you. <laughs> Do good work. Cool. <laughs> That's I, like, I found out my podcast sponsor, his cousin is uh, Jenna Hayes. And I was like, please get her on the show for me. <laughs> like send her a text and be like, I, when we were talking about doing it, he's like, oh, her mom just died. So like probably not a good time. Oh no. Like, yeah. Oh, no. Not. yeah. Oh, no. I was like, you know what? Hit her up anyway. <laughs> um, it's so fun. Do you know who Jesse Lee is? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Didn't, didn't she just have like a real fucking bad accident yeah. like yeah, a couple was, months ago? Yeah. God damn. It was, I, um, it, it was, uh, she's great. She's a great person. Um, I last time I saw her, we were, we went, um, Downright Merch did, um, does one of the web stores for, uh, uh, Death Row Records. And mm. we went 30th anniversary, um, with uh, Death Row Records at uh, Crookston Castle in LA, right across from Supreme and all that. I forgot what street it is. And, we used to uh, print for Crookston Castles back at my job. And uh, <laughs> weird. Don't get me started there. Um, and like, <laughs> I invited her to come down and hang out with us. And that was last time I saw her. She's great. Love that. Love her. She's awesome. But yeah, where did you work? Uh, I actually just went back to the company. I work for uh, this place called Vector Distribution. When I started about 12, uh, probably about like 12 years ago, um, we were doing stuff for like OVO, uh, for Diamond Supply Company, for like DGK, a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, I just went back uh, in the last like couple weeks uh, after getting out of like retail and the bar industry again. And it's been a thing where uh, it's been funny to kind of like get back into it. You're just like, you know, you want to talk about another facet of the industry where you're just like, that shirt doesn't cost that much <laughs> or like the oh, yeah. print on this is horrible or, you know, whatever, like just the amount of like shit like that or like the changing trends. Like I was just talking to someone the other day about like, I was like, why is everyone going back to comfort colors? Like and going to like, not only comfort colors, which are like giant and they're fucking heavy, but then going with these like all over prints on the front and back. So it just feels like you have like 20 pounds of ink all over your fucking body on a like shirt that doesn't breathe. And I was like, I thought we were turning the page when we were starting to use like Bella and Canvas and American Apparel and like nice thin quality shirts. I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> oh, but but yeah, man, I mean, are you going to come to the fest? You think or what? So, at, funny enough, I was talking with Corey and Jackie the other day because they're like, "Shit, are you coming?" Knowing that I was talking to you, and I was like, "I don't even know if I've seen a a press application thing for for the fest." Um, oh, you are, but, you're gonna yell at Amy now. She's going to yell that now. You're going to get her in trouble. <laughs> well, no, 
because Amy, because you know Amy's like dog passed away a couple of years ago when she had texted me. And then so, you know, I had to reciprocate when, you know, she had to put uh, Higgins down. Um, Higgins is great. I met Higgins a couple times. But it was a thing where I love that woman so much, and she's given me so many great opportunities over the course of this show. And is a thing where, you know, very recently, you know, she's been building up Adam Splitter, like, so much recently in the last, like, couple years, like, with Tim and and her crew that she's got. And it was so awesome the other day, like, probably, like, two or three months ago, she was – sent me an email and she was like, Hey, just let you know, like, I'm kind of like taking, like, I'm not the one dealing with the day-to-day stuff anymore. It's kind of Tim, you know, I'm kind of running everything now and doing a bunch of other stuff. And I was like, that's so fucking cool. Like, good for you. Um, I've known Amy Amy for like 22 years and like back in the day when she worked for Roadrunner and all this stuff, she's awesome. She's good. Yeah. It was great too. Their whole, whole team is great over there. You know? Yeah. I have no, no complaints against anybody that I've dealt with over there. But no, I, I think because uh, the one thing my wife bought tickets for Sleep Token on Thursday out in Detroit. But right now, like, there's some weird wonky thing with the tickets where it's like she, the money is gone that she paid for them, but like she doesn't have the tickets. Oh, no. Uh, not even like digitally or anything. It just says it's pending. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. But I was joking with her. I was like, oh, like, because we went and hung out with Corey when we were out in Vegas uh, a couple months ago. Uh, before we moved back back east and so they were like jackie lives in new jersey so she's like you gotta come you gotta come like we gotta hang out and i'm like that's like totally up to my wife because like it's you know we had a plan for the day before and then she was like you know honestly maybe i would rather go to that and get like not spend four hundred dollars to stay in detroit and, da, 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 da. and i was like i was like well i mean i don't know how much it costs to like stay around that area or if everything's all booked up and i was like i guess uh, after i talk to scott i can probably shoot amy a thing or whoever i have to and be like is there any way i can get approved for like media or something oh, you're good, you're good. Just, just do something like that so my wife and i can go yeah, and then figure out the rest you're good just tell me i'll tell amy you're good just you and your wife should come you know sleep talk i've always sleep. wanted to go to the palladium sleep talk is great don't get me wrong <laughs> They're weird looking, but they're great. Yeah. yeah, just it that's that's a band I did not see. I still don't really get it personally. I just feel like it's parts, not songs. Like where it's like, oh, here's a thing, and then it drops off. Oh, here's the heavy part. And you're like, oh, I mean, anyone can kind of do that. Like that's that's easy <laughs> to, to just drop out something and come back. But looking that good and doing it is a different Oh yeah. Thing. Yeah. How long do you think the uh because I mean you were probably prime. Uh, speaking of Amy and Roadrunner, you were probably prime Slipknot. Like no one knew, got to see them without their mask. How long do you think uh, Sleep Token identities being a mystery will hold out? Yeah, at least three years, three or four years, maybe. I don't know. As long as they, you know, people. It, it's funny that whole idea. It, it, it's it's pretty cool. I actually enjoy that. I I when I've, I I had friends of mine that worked for Slipknot back in the day. And like I'd go see them at shows, or they played, or whatever. And like, and then like I, I, I did a show with them, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there, and like I was, I was at the Palladium, and we're sitting there, and this dude, this kind of like boxy looking man, comes up to me, and I have my hand, like my arm, yeah, it was this arm, like on a, a thing, and he's like, "Hey man, I love your tattoos." I'm like, "Oh yeah." It's some gunner flash. My boy Jamie did it. Blah blah blah. He's like, "Yo, that's real cool. It's real cool." He's like, "He's like, yo, check this out." I'm like, "I'm like, cool." And like, I'm like, 
fuck are you like who who like who? <laughs> and then it, it's it was clown and then mm. there was other dude I'm like oh, I'm like gathering who's who now you know what I mean and my friend Armin Buttscrump the third rest in peace he works with them and you know I met a lot of them it was it really cool this is yeah, those guys are really good people when it comes down to it. You know, what I mean, they're hardworking. They dress. They they got to wear a sauna suit for fucking for two, two hours. hours. <laughs> yeah. With with pyro. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fuck yeah exactly. I mean, they took out bands like Hatebreed and stuff back in the day. You know, what I mean, that was you know, they're good people. They get it. You know, and like that's another thing that a lot of like it doesn't happen. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't happen very often where bigger bands... How do I put this without sounding like a fucking asshole? <laughs> I wish bigger bands, more bigger bands, would take out smaller bands and show things like, you know, this is this band or whatever. You know what I mean? With, like, a band that has nothing going on. You know, some bands do that still. You know, but... I feel like we're starting... To, I feel like we're starting to see that a little bit. I mean, Metallica bringing out... Uh, Ice Nine, especially like that was. Oh no, huge. no, no! I'm talking. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking. But like, like even Ice Nine plays Civic Center still. You know what I mean? Like, you know, or you know, like I'm saying, like you know, like Metallica taking out a band like I Am. You know what I mean? Okay. Like that's like, you know what I'm saying? Or something like that. But I don't know. I wish there was like more stuff like that happened. You know, just like you know, like I feel like we're starting to see it a little bit because I think enough of the bands, like I think a band that's been doing really good at kind of paving like paying paying it forward and then also bringing up the the next scene right now as i see it anyway i feel like knock loose is really doing it right oh yeah like they they respects to like all the bands that took them out like i remember having brian on when they were i don't even think i think i think the i think the second record was about to drop maybe i think mistakes like fractures had just come out yeah. Uh, but I don't think the record had come out. And I had, because uh, it was them and the Acacia Strain tour. And I remember having Vincent and Tom on. And then I did uh, chat with Brian. And I think at the time they were about to play like, a, a, like maybe like a Riot Fest or something. Something that was like big, but it wasn't like the level where they're at now where they're playing like Coachella and Walla and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember like talking to him. And I was like, you know, yeah. And I remember asking the question to Brian where I was like, you know, a lot of bands, I remember like Hatebreed and, you know, Terror and Eated and like a lot of the bands from that, Eric Shadows Fall, Killswitch even to a degree, you know, they were always great at bringing out like the underground band and a, like a band that maybe took them out. And I was like, and I feel like it seems like you guys are doing that too. And I, I go, how important is it to to bring your scene, like your contemporaries up with you while also still paying respect to those who did and paid you those favors? And I mean, this, like I said, this is probably like four or five years ago. And to know that that's something that was important to them, it's important to the scene. It, it keeps the legacy bands alive and it brings up the newer scene. And just see, like, when they did that headlining show, you know, with Kubla Khan and uh, what was it, like Year of the Knife, maybe, or somebody, oh, I can't remember LGBT who. Fest? No, it was, they were doing a tour. Oh, 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 oh. yeah, yeah, with, uh, I forgot who else was on that. I can't remember. They're just ass beaters all day. <laughs> it was a very exhausting show. <laughs> but I remember like seeing that and like they sold out the main room of the intersection, mm-hmm. you know, 2200 cap room. And, you know, having seen that band play a 400 cap room, a 
fucking 800 cap room. Oh, Coyo, Coyo opened up. Coyo opened yeah, that's up. Right. Yep, that's right. Um, but it was one of those that it's like seeing them do it to then even seeing them on the Bring Me like Shed Tour. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, can like this will be the really big to, to me at the time as, as a fucking nobody. But I was like, can this translate? Because if it can translate in a shed, I already know it works in clubs. But if it can translate to a shed, if you can make it feel like a hardcore show like their shit does, if you can make it feel like that in a shed, this band's going to be unfucking touchable And as sure as shit, as soon as, like, the backdrop went down and, like, the band came out, all of a sudden, like, the general pit area in front of the seats at the shed, it, like, all of a sudden, like, all these hardcore dudes just came out of nowhere and it felt like a fucking knock loose show, not, like, a giant shed show. And I was like, this band can fucking, like, they can do anything because they can make it translate. I went to that, I went to the LDB Fest and I saw, you know, with knock knock loose Kubicon the day, that Kubicon played in Gates to Hell, Mouth for War, and Pain of Truth. And I've seen a good amount of Knock Loose shows. That band is no fucking joke in any which way, shape, or form. They are very, very good people, nice, kind people, humble people, and I hope the best for them in any which way, shape, or form. What they do and how they do things with their with everything, just great people. You can't say a bad thing about them um, at all, you know. Just, you know, it, it, it's like the music's solid, solid to the fucking core. Um, band members, solid. Everything's great. Great team, great people, great label. Fucking Jake Brown, my friend, my good friend, Jake Brown. Yeah. I can't. I, a, I, uh... that I'm proud to be like, you know, that's in our scene. That's our world. You know what I mean? It's good. It's pretty, it's awesome. You know, they're doing it right. They came up right. 100%. I feel like I could uh, talk to you for hours and hours more about memories and yeah, shit. Yeah, I gotta go. Definitely yeah. want. <laughs> yep. No, say my wife is like, hey, are you, are you almost done? It's time for dinner. Uh, so it's a thing where uh, I very much could talk to you and I very much am looking forward to uh, hopefully meeting you uh, at the festival and sharing a drink. I don't even, I don't even know if you drink anymore. Seems like I everyone's quit. Drink, I just drank a whole glass of Jameson on our. our I mean, that's what I thought, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to speculate yeah. on what may or may not be in that glass. So you never know, I'm a man. 52, um, I'm a 52 year old man. I can drink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, I yeah, mean, I've had I've had two beers. Yeah, please absolutely. Come, but, come hang out, you know, and you know it's going to be a great time. You know, it's like I I think, like I said, this is the best New England metal and hardcore festival lineup I think we ever put together. Except for the first one where where Earth Crisis was direct support to Man of War. But other than that. <laughs> I've actually tried to get Carl on the show, and he's got me a little intimidated because I always hear about – I can't remember if it was Jost or somebody else made a comment uh, about how, like, Carl will sniff out those who are, like, not true to the core and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I love me some Earth Crisis, and I respect this genre. But, like, I don't know if I'm, like, as versed in the shit as him. But I would love to talk to him about the legacy and just him as a person and, you know, the band, like just a conversation with him because, like, why not? That's but I'm also no. low key, like, if he'll just, like, eat me alive and be like, no, this was no, a fucking no, waste. No, no, no. He's, he's, he gets it. You know, it's one of these things where it's just like, like, listen, the guy went on OzFest. You know, we watch people drink and get fucked up. So it's yeah. like, I think Earth Crisis was one of the greatest metal bands. Straight edge, whatever hardcore bands you want to call it, 
And I think that that whole thing. I remember the first time I heard uh, Earth Crisis. It's a seven inch, and it was just like, "What the fuck is this Slayer? Fucking hardcore? What? What is this?" And it's like, "It's been Earth Crisis," and I'm like, "Holy shit! It was amazing." I'm like, "Why does it sound? It sounds so hard." It's like, and I'm like, "Fuck! This is great." Yeah, Earth Crisis is great. Don't you love that? Don't you love like having those memories of when your mind was blown listening to something and be like. What the fuck is this? This is the heaviest thing ever. Or it's this thing. Andrew from I Am is trying to call me right now. This is funny. He's very no funny. Um, I will let you go so you can take the phone call and have a dinner with your wife. Uh, uh, very much. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. Uh, I have said so many times on the podcast that I'm a firm believer that in doing this, like I said earlier, there are so many people I wanted to have on the show, but I'm infinitely more happier with the results when it finally happened down the road because i think if i would have done it when i was trying to i think i would have tried too hard to make it something other than what it should have been which is just a, a natural conversation like we covered a ton of things and i didn't feel like it was forced at all yeah man you can call me anytime i'll do this anytime with you it's great you're 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 awesome you should come, definitely come grab your wife come out to metal fest though and it, it's like i said it's gonna be a great time you know absolutely and, and you know and Amy will be there too, so you can come hang out with her and stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen her since uh, Sonic Temple, like before COVID. My wife will be there too. You can come hang out with her. You know, beers with her. I I love hanging out with couples. Like as weird as it is to say, it's always like the fun thing. Like when you have a spouse and you're just like, hey, like couples. Like it happens in hardcore uh, metal. We have uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody coming. Like it's funny. My cousin, he's I don't think he's ever been to a metal show, but his roommate Timmy is coming, and like they're all coming and just. It's gonna be a good time for everybody. It's gonna be great. It's just, you know, it's it's amazing. I'm just really happy to, to put this on, be back involved with that and doing this, and it's it's gonna be cool. But I know a lot of people are looking forward to it, man. So I'll see you hopefully in five days before my birthday. Five days before I turn thirty nine. So I will buy you a metal fest beer for your birthday. I will drink it. <laughs> All right, man. Enjoy Thank the rest you of your night, Scott. So that was my conversation with Scott Lee. Want to thank him once again for taking the time to chat and bullshit. Uh, Love hearing the stories. And, you know, something that I I do find interesting is, you know, you you do something like this year in and year out and you're always trying to outdo yourself. You're always trying to have like the best lineup that you can. And it's just this thing where like from booking shows for a few years, I just remember like the grind and the struggle of, of times of like filling a date, getting a band. Sometimes you'd have a, you know, a, a show ready to announce and, oh, well, like the opener or like the, you know, direct support had to bail and then you have to hold off and then it's finding someone else or, hey, do we just want to add another local opener or whatever? Then you're dealing with venue stuff and their calendar and all these things that it's just like the idea of working to put on a festival just seems so fucking daunting. Like all the shit that you have to do vendors to make sure like security that everything and anything that needs to happen for this to go off, that it happens and it is successful. And then it happens again and it happens again and it happens again. Throw in and compound onto the fact that Scott Lee also still book shows consistently during all that. Uh, it's just one of those things that to me, it, it just would be, 
I just don't know how someone would do it. Like, I, I guess that's the difference between me doing it part-time versus kind of making a, a career of doing it. Uh, but it's still just fascinating to me to kind of hear some of these stories. And I mean, also just the bands that Scott got to to book and some of these up and coming bands that are now fucking huge and massive, uh, in their own respective rights. Uh, I do got to say, I'm, I'm, really hoping uh that maybe blood has been shed we'll get back together for for next year uh or at least one of these years i feel like i'm gonna be a fucking dick right now and and say like i feel like i've put it out into the world enough in the last couple of years between talking to howard talking to justin twice talking to Corey, that it's like i think there's enough things happening now behind the scenes maybe where it's like maybe it's time and I don't, it just sounds so like shitty to say, like, I think I've had done <laughs> the work to help make it happen. But I just remember like after the episode with Corey and like all the metal news sites picking up on, you know, Corey talking about the last blood has been shed record and what state does it exist and all this kind of stuff. I just remember Corey sending me an email like a week or so later, it had to have been like a week later. And him just going like, people are reaching out to me that were working on that record with me. People are asking like, if I'm going to be working on it, how close is it to being done? Like, I think sometimes like when these things happen, you know, sometimes the headline will get made off of a show, whether it's this one or another one. And it is something I actually bring up in a, in a future chat with Lurk from Lambgoat, where it's like, you hope that it doesn't bum out the person that you've kind of spent time with, kind of become friends with in some capacity. And it just is this thing where, you know, I remember when the news broke of the like Corey episode and him just sounding excited, even in an email that he was excited that anyone gave a shit and that like people that were associated with the project were still interested in, in helping him complete the project and at least getting the music that's sitting on a hard drive out. And to me, like, I think it just showcases like how much people give a shit about that band. And I mean, here we are. It's 2023. Like, I never thought I'd get... The amount of fucking bands I never thought I'd get to see. I never thought I'd get to see Refused. I've seen them three time, three or four times now at this point, actually. Um, I've had Dennis on the podcast. Like, that's fucking wild. Um, Botch. I never got... Never in a million years did I think Botch was ever getting back together. Saw them earlier this year in Seattle. Like, the day and age now of, like, bands getting older and being like, oh, we're never going to play together. Like, I think are kind of... I think some bands are just getting the point. It's like, what's the harm in getting together and at least doing one or two shows and just going from there? Like it dies today getting back together. Finally, like people were saying that that probably wouldn't happen. Um, it just is a thing where I just will never say never, like at n not in this day and age, not with, you know, something like Furnace Fest, something, you know, like some Blue Ridge Rock Festival and some of that, you know, some of these bands getting back together and then finally kind of, reuniting, re-getting invigorated. I don't know how you want to put it, but I really do fucking hope that Blood Has Been Shed gets back together. If they play next year, I will fucking buy the first ticket that goes on sale when that's announced. I need to see that band once in my life. And it just needs to happen. And it would be the most fitting for it to be at the New England Metal and Hardcore Festival. So here's to hoping uh, that... You know, the festival continues. Uh, I'm excited to see how how well it does uh, with being outside instead of being kind of inside on the two stages. Uh, I think that opens it up to a lot more bands that can come and play and, and bring different kind of production. Uh, I mean, even with uh, 
you know, Parkway Dry playing on Friday as the headliner, like I would assume they're bringing their full pyro with them. Uh, it's, it's been like one of the biggest selling points of this last Parkway tour that's supposed to got kept getting postponed, but was that it was going to be the full production with flat fire and all that kind of stuff. I remember even back in the day before Rammstein was touring more consistently here in the States and getting to the level where they could play these, you know, stadiums that it was like, Oh man, like they're cool. But when you see them overseas and they play like these giant fucking, you know, arenas and such, the production is just crazy. Like to be able to finally see some of these bands doing that, I think is what is going to afford, you know, the, the New England and Metal Hardcore Festival to, to take that next step with what they can offer bands and what bands they can get with the production and all that kind of stuff to really showcase each band doing what they actually do. Um, and then obviously, you know, with Saturday, Lamb of God, uh, Hate Breed, Shadows Fall, Dying Fetus, Black Dahlia, Fit for a King, Despite, Fit for a King, Fit for an Autopsy, Despised Icon, Chelsea Grin, Terror, fucking 100 Demons, Vane, uh, Jesus Peace, like Darkest Hour, 200 Stab Wounds, Judiciary, um, Jesus Christ, the Ringworm, uh, I think on death, I think was, I always want to say on earth, on death. Um, it's just one of those things to me where like this festival's got something for everybody, whether you're into kind of newer shit, more of that underground, more of the mainstays that used to play the festival. Like there's a little bit of something here for everyone, I feel like. Um, so I'm very glad to see it come back. I'm excited to see hopefully it coming and just growing uh, for the next couple of years and, and just becoming the mainstay and the, the legacy festival that always made me want to go to this thing. All of that said, let's start wrapping up this episode. If you would like to keep up with Scott Lee, you can find him on Facebook at scott.lee.5680. You can find him on Instagram at scottlee26. And you can also find him on Twitter under scottlee26. Uh, if you would like to keep up with all things the New England Metal Hardcore Festival, you can keep up with it. Actually, simple enough, metalandhardcorefest.com. That'll be your landing page for everything. There's still VIP tickets and all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, one of the, it's sold out, but one of the cool ones actually was that, uh, it's like the holy shit, wow, mega deluxe VIP. Uh, it actually came with a hotel, hotel rooms included, which I thought was super nice. Um, but all that said, you can go there, check out everything, uh, full lineup, uh, purchase tickets, whatever. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with it on the socials that you can find it on Facebook at metal and hardcore fest, Instagram at N E M H F official and Twitter at N E M H F underscore official. And if you'd like to keep up with the podcast, you can find a simple enough Bruce Speak Pod on all your major social media platforms. You can email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. You can also rate, review, subscribe. You know why that's important. Uh, just go ahead and do it, whatever, if you can. Some platforms don't allow you to. But be that as it may, want to thank our podcast sponsors, Rockabilia. Use our code BREW10 at checkout. Save 10% off your total purchase order. Head on over to rockabilly.com. They have so many great things, so many cool band collabs. Uh, the Ghost one still gets me. Uh, their fans just not too stoked on too many things. <laughs> and um, also Starving Artist Brewery. Uh, love those guys out there making some great beer. There's actually one that they're making with somebody else. Uh, with a, a Sounds like I think it's just a, a friend of, of the breweries. Uh, the flavor profile that they said this thing is going to be sounds absolutely delicious. I can't wait to get some. Uh, so if you're in the Michigan area and you're nearby, go check them out. Worst case, just throw them a like on Instagram or Facebook. Either way, keep up with what they're doing. I can't tell you how many breweries I follow. And I sometimes sporadically will be able to get some of the products here in Michigan. 
Uh, but a lot of times, like when I find something or come across something in my travels, I'll just keep up with what they're doing. And a lot of times I'll just be sad and, and, and bummed out that I, I can't have this delicious beer that I keep seeing uh, these places making and no one near it to, to get it for me. But uh, that's that's my own cross to bear. But for this episode of the podcast, I am John and I will see you all next week where our guest is Lurk from Lambgoat. Uh, if you enjoyed this one for all the behind-the-scenes stuff, that one equally is is a lot of fun. Uh, we kind of really dive deep into the acquisition of Lamb Goat and a lot of other things. So excited to bring that one to you, and I'll talk to you all then.